Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. World in Sport, I'm Benny Wiley. This week, progress is made towards an All Blacks test in Samoa. A major winner signs on to compete at the Fiji International Golf Championship. And we continue our countdown to the Glasgow Commonwealth Games. But first, Australia and New Zealand will be invited to participate at next year's Pacific Games in Papua New Guinea after a revised proposal was approved by council members. The two countries will be able to enter teams in taekwondo, weightlifting, sailing and rugby sevens and the first step towards an expanded continental games. The executive director of the Pacific Games Council, Andrew Minogue, says the debate went smoothly after a similar proposal had been voted down last year. You know, one of the reasons we set aside a day and a half is because that is such a big issue and such a big part of you know, the future direction of the games that we wanted to give all the delegates plenty of time to have their say and work through the issues and you know, the terms and conditions of the of any invitation. So we had plenty of uh, opportunity time set aside for people to delegates to speak and, and perhaps craft some alternative solutions if they needed to be found. But in, in in fact what ended up happening was that there was pretty pretty well a consensus that uh, amongst all of the countries there that we should have a mechanism to invite Australia and New Zealand. The MOU agreement uh, that was delivered at uh, the ONOC meeting in Guam was endorsed and then it really just came down to a debate, OK, as to how we're going to do this in 2015, not whether we should do it. That was all agreed. And we had a little bit of discussion about the how around medals and, and one or two other things. And those issues ended up being resolved very quickly. So, you know, what we thought might take several hours ended up uh, taking a lot less time than that. And we were able to get through the rest of the business um, on that uh, on that first day. Because I guess last year when the original proposal for up to eight sports was put, you know, there was a bit of uh, fear and, I guess, worry in some of the countries uh, as to how that would affect them. Uh, was trying to alleviate that sort of concern and, I guess, ensure they were fully informed with everything that was uh, surrounding it when they came in to vote and, and make the decision. Was that a, a key part of getting it over the line? Yeah, I think so. I think also having an extra year to sort of digest some of the issues and, and discuss them you know, with their national federations and stakeholders back home within their own countries. Um, I mean, as a, as a council and as an executive board, we felt that those opportunities were given to countries last year, but perhaps, you know, in hindsight, they might might not have just had that sufficient amount of time to really reflect and and uh, do the consultations with, with all of their stakeholders. So this year, with the agenda picking this issue up again and everybody knowing that it was going to be back on the agenda. I think I think all the countries had, had done their work in terms of re- having really good discussions back home. So when it came to the vote last week, I think there was no sense that people were uninformed, no sense that they hadn't had enough time and no sense that there was some sort of fears or issues that weren't being addressed or not capable of being addressed. So I think it made for for a much smoother debate and, and, and ultimately passage of the proposal. 
So what the proposal in the memorandum, I guess, have the ability is for you guys to invite New Zealand and Australia to take part in yeah. after those four sports, taekwondo, sailing, yeah. sevens and weightlifting. How certain are you that all four sports will be taken up by those countries or is there a chance that at this point even some of the sports or, or maybe even some of the countries in some of the sports will participate? Yeah, well, in the first instance, uh, the, the invitation will be issued to the Australian and New Zealand Olympic committees. So we're not going to deal with this as a sort of a uh, liaising directly with those sports federations in, in those two countries. We're going to be dealing directly with the Olympic committees of, of the two nations. Um, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that the invitations are, are accepted in those in those four sports. Um, we are aware, of course, that we are you know now less than 12 months before the the games commence, and we're aware that you know that's a short period of time, and 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 teams or or athletes will often have you know their pathway events mapped out for them. But you know we're hopeful nonetheless that those invitations will be picked up, and particularly in the sports that might have the opportunity now to use the invitation process to to sort of co-brand their event as an Oceania Championship taking place uh, during the Pacific Games. So there's obviously sports within those four that that have an annual championship where Australia and New Zealand participate and if that's happening during the games then then we'd expect those athletes to be there. So we'll just we'll just work on that. We're hopeful that we'll get good representation in all the four sports, but we'll just see how it goes. And also most importantly for the for the Pacific countries, it takes away some of those pressures that they often face in a Pacific Games year. Do we go to the games or do we go to the Oceanias? You know, the money's tight and travel's expensive within the region. So you know, when we can bring the two events together, as we're probably now on the path to doing, it's going to make it easier, actually, for the Pacific countries to really make a commitment to the Games because the events that they need to, to be at will be, uh, be in the one location. So I think from that perspective, it's good. And I think from the competition perspective, we do expect that having those athletes there from Australia and New Zealand will lift the standards. And, you know, you've got to consider that this is a year before the Olympics. The weightlifting event has already been recognised by the International Federation as a formal qualifying event for Rio, so that's going to be good for all the athletes to sort of raise their standards, and uh, yeah, I think it's going to be some good uh, good benefits to the athletes ultimately coming out of it. And at last year's mini games in the sailing, we had concurrent, sort of separate. Everyone yep. competed together, but we had medals for the Oceania yep. Championships, including Australia, and separately the the mini games, which just included the Pacific countries. Can we expect something yep. similar next year? No, the the invitation is for the athletes to actually participate in the games. The proposed uh, model that we used back in Wallace and Fortuna was that we'd run a concurrent Oceania event in sailing and keep it separate from the Pacific Games event. But as you might recall, the New Zealand Federation didn't take that offer up, so we had some Australian sailors there. But th this proposal is somewhat different. It's that these athletes can actually participate in the Pacific Games themselves. So... You know, they're just like any other athlete or, or country that's uh, participating in the event. Okay, so this is very much towards, I guess, that, that push that I know you guys are very much interested in of moving into line, I guess, with a lot of the other regions around the world and, and, and having a continental games to try and stay relevant. Yeah, and, and to get the recognition from both the IOC and the international federations that in the Oceania region, 
when they look to that part of the world and say, well, what is their continental event? They will all unanimously agree that it is the Pacific Games and the Pacific Games will be open to all of the athletes of, uh, of the region to, to participate in. And I think that's the objective. I think for Papua New Guinea next year, it is a trial. It's not definite that this is you know, going to be the way of the future. We have to see how it works. We have to assess it objectively and make sure that the athletes ultimately benefited from the experience but you know the longer term objective however quickly this proposal gathers pace in future games the ultimate objective is to make sure that the Pacific Games remain relevant and remain recognised or are further recognised as the premier event in the region and that we don't see another Oceania Games proposals springing forward so that you know, those desires to be a truly continental game are fulfilled by some other event rather than ours. In terms of that vote, how was it unanimous or what was the sort of the numbers? Well, everybody agreed on the MOU, which sort of set the principles behind this, and everybody agreed to the amendments to the Constitution, which would sort of legally facilitate an invitations process. They all passed without, uh, without any opposition at all, uh, which was very pleasing. In terms of the terms and conditions, Papua New Guinea uh, put a proposal to keep the, uh, the medals separate. And I think the executive board's position was that if that was the will of the, of the General Assembly, then that would obviously be acceptable. But in the event, um, in the event there was only PNG that opposed the proposal in the format of being eligible for medals, and uh, a couple of countries abstained, but everybody else voted in support. So it ended up being um, reasonably un- non-contentious. That's the Executive Director of the Pacific Games Council, Andrew Minogue. New Zealand Rugby says it's now confident the All Blacks will be able to play a test match in Samoa next year with a July date looking likely. The world champions have never played a test in the Pacific Islands and most recently played against Fiji and Tonga in 2011 and against Samoa in 2008. Two months ago, New Zealand rugby boss Steve Chu said there was no room in their schedule to play a test in the Pacific. He says they've since identified a couple of dates before the World Cup that could work and would benefit the team's preparations for that tournament. They've held discussions with sponsors and the IRB, but Chu says while they're increasingly confident, nothing is confirmed yet. Well, it's a bit hard to say until we, until we sit down and talk to the Samoans. They've got to make sure they can get their players and the, and the other logistics all lined up. But uh, I'm you know, pretty confident we're, we're keen to make it work, and so um, all things being equal, we will. Manu Samoa coach Stephen Beetham is looking forward to hosting the All Blacks and believes he will have all of his top players available if the proposed match is given the green light. Beetham says a July date would be a welcome addition to their World Cup preparations. We've asked for a test, and you know, if it, if it does come true, it's a, it's a good measure of where we're at, where we'll be at heading into the World Cup. That's when the PNC is next year, so most of the players will be released by then. It's just a matter of um, how far we have to travel for the next game, because I think maybe some of the games will be in Canada. So it's just getting across from the Pacific to Canada will be the question. Okay, but but next year the PNC is going to have all the teams together again, a bit like a couple of years back. Yes, that's what they told us. It'll all be in one go. And in terms of your World Cup preparation, uh, obviously you're going to Europe in November and then there's a Pacific Nations Cup next year. Is it? Do you have other tests around that confirmed yet or is it pretty much the Nations Cup and then maybe one or two others such as you know, a potential All Blacks yeah, test? That's uh, the date set up. It's just the end of year and the PNC next year. We could have two games between the PNC and World Cup if we wanted to, but at this stage we're still looking at most likely opponents. 
that we think we'll, we'll get benefit out uh, looking at, at who we're playing at the World Cup. We have a few teams in mind, but um, we, we haven't started negotiations with them. And, and after a very busy uh, June period there, Stephen, how, how are you feeling about the team uh, having had them uh, under your watch for the last sort of month? Yeah, it was really good. It's good to get back into a winning column. And plus the boys, you know, they come off, most of them come off a long season in Europe and they had to grind it out in the, the hot weather here in Samoa. Um, but at the end of the day, we, we, we got the wins we needed and, and we're slowly getting back on track heading to the World Cup. That's the Manu Samoa rugby coach, Stephen Beatham. Three-time major champion Nick Price will contest at next month's inaugural Fiji International Golf Championship at the Natandola Bay course. The Zimbabwean won two PGA Championship titles and one Open Championship in the early 1990s and was ranked the world's top player for 44 weeks. India's number one ranked player Anaban Lahiri has also been announced to join local hero Vijay Singh, who designed the course, and another Fijian veteran Dinesh Chand, with further names to be added over the coming weeks. The CEO of the PGA of Australia, Brian Thorburn, says Price is a great addition to the lineup. An icon of the game, a world uh, golf hall of famer and uh, world number one. Just a legend of the game, he's captain of the international team, he's still one hell of a golfer. Plays predominantly on the seniors tour in the US these days, but not so long ago that he, he, he cocked up his majors and, and 47 professional tour victories under his belt. You know, we wouldn't underestimate his potential to uh, to conquer the course. And I guess to have somebody like Nick who is, you know, he's getting on in years a little bit, but obviously he's got such a phenomenal history in his career and, and Vijay, of course, as well as won majors. And as you say, to have some, you know, younger, sort of uh, more current uh, Fijian and uh, regional sort of, you know, uh, professionals at the moment, to have that sort of mix of, um, you know, the old, the new and, you know, the experienced and whatnot as well to sort of come together at the tournament. Yeah, look, and there's a brace of Australian players who will roll out as well, and a lot of uh, household names, you know, in that in that group. What do you think the field is going to be in for uh, when they do eventually get to that first round? Oh, look, I think it'll be a uh, it's certainly a tough course, um, particularly when the wind gets up. You know, I wouldn't be expecting this tournament's going to get won by somebody at ten under. It'll it'll be a you know a tough challenge for these guys. The course hasn't received the accolades I guess it deserves because it hasn't just featured. Uh, prominently, but it's an amazing golf course. You know, very picturesque. You know, striking canyon holes. The fourth, you know, the sixth, the fourth hole goes alongside the beach. So it's got a, a very big bunker on the left-hand side, uh, and uh, it's. You know, but it's certainly going to be a challenge for, for these guys. And Brian, you mentioned that obviously it's the first time a tournament of this sort of magnitude, and I guess with that sort of prize money, has been uh, hosted in the region. Um, I mean, what sort of hopes do you guys at the PGA have for this event? Obviously, this is year one. We think that uh, it'll be very successful, but uh, I think we think it'll be uh, even more successful in subsequent years with a, a different date. Uh, August was where we had to play it this year for a whole range of reasons, particularly related to the election. But uh, in future years, we hope to play it probably a little later in October, where there's a bit more daylight, where we can get a 156-man field through. Um, so, look, I mean, we're, we're very confident um, that that it'll, it'll go very, very well, not only in year one, but it'll grow from there. You know, this is the first year. Um, golf isn't a nat- is not a natural sport, you know, played by the masses in Fiji. And, but we think, you know, with the profile the year one tournament will, uh, will, will provide, that it'll, it'll go from strength to strength thereafter. That's the CEO of the PGA of Australia, Brian Thorburn. And continuing our countdown to this month's Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, this week we take a closer look at Vanuatu and the Solomon Islands. Vanuatu will send a smaller team of 12 athletes, two less than the delegation sent to the Delhi Games four years ago, 
But the country's chef de mission, Henry Tavoa, says they were forced to make a late change. The last time we had athletics, we had to remove athletics from our team. This administrative staff, we could have had a bigger team here. And now it's just table tennis and um, judo. Henry Tavoa says three of their athletes competed at the London Olympics two years ago, and they are hopeful that some of them can at least make it to the second round of their competitions in Glasgow. The Solomon Islands are also sending a 12-strong team, but unlike Vanuatu, believe they have a real chance at winning a medal. 31-year-old weightlifter Jenlin Wenny won gold in the 58-kilogram class at the past two Oceania Championships, which is also a gold medalist at the Pacific and Mini Games. The chef de mission for Team Solomon, Ronald Talasasa, believes that she is poised to break the country's Commonwealth drought. We are really hopeful the way that she has been training in weightlifting institute in Numea, preparing throughout the past two years for Glasgow. It's a fantastic start, a good basis for us to say that Jenny will be vying for a medal and this time at the senior games for Solomon Islands to win Commonwealth medal. First medal was at the Youth Commonwealth Games in Isle of Man in 2011. And then now for the senior games or the main Commonwealth Games, we are expecting Jenny to win a medal. The rest, we are sending them for pre-training camps as well as exposing the Commonwealth Games and preparing for Pacific Games in Papua New Guinea next year. But yes, we are very excited and looking forward to having Jenny as our first medalist at the Commonwealth Games. How many of the 12 athletes uh, were at the Mini Games last year? Are, are they all likely to be at the Pacific Games and uh, have any of them been in the Olympics or Commonwealth Games before? Ten of them were at the Wallis and Futuna, so... The Wallis and Futuna was, uh, was the main um, selection uh, ground for Commonwealth Games. There is a little bit of an issue with our athletes in the athletics uh, sports, our middle distance. These two won gold medals in Wallis and Futuna. For the first time, we are sending middle distance runners, long distance runners, to the Commonwealth Games. We have been sending only sprinters. But we saw that it would be good for these um, long-distance or middle-distance runners to also take pride in their country at the Commonwealth Games. So we are sending them. The challenge is how many rounds are they going to keep on going and how many laps around them by the champion Commonwealth. And um, they will do us proud. That's the shift mission for Team Solomon to the Commonwealth Games, Ronald Talasasa. And that's the world and sport for this week. I'm Vinnie Wiley. As always, thanks very much for listening. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.